Hey, Joseph here. I really apologize for the lack of uploads and consistency lately. We've been doing some internal issues that are should be all resolved now. want to start this episode with a quick announcement. That's that we are officially rebranding to the Strive for Five podcast. Same everything, same guests, same format, same schedule. For real this time, though. Um, it's just going to be under a new name. Looking forward to it. Uh, the next, I think, four episodes, including this one, are still going to say work hard, retire early because they're pre-recorded before the rebrand. But that's going to change very soon. Uh, until then, check out our new social links in the description and let's get into it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Work Hard, Retire Early podcast. As always, I am your host, Joseph Hadaway, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Peter Christian. Peter is a former Crayola executive, a founding partner and former president at a business consulting firm, ESPI, and has written multiple best-selling books on Amazon. So how are you today, Peter? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Joseph. Hey, thank you very much for taking the time to come on. So I, I, gave, I appreciate the invite. So I gave you a little brief bio there. Well, can you tell us about yourself? Okay, well, I uh, was originally uh, from New York City. I was born and raised in New York City and uh, slowly migrated my way down south, went to school uh, in New Jersey at Rutgers University, got my undergraduate, then did my graduate work at Lehigh University in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, and then lived there uh, quite a bit uh, with my wife and family for about 40 years before uh, retiring and moving down to uh, Florida, where we currently reside. Uh, we're in the lovely little town of Wikiwachi, just north of uh, Tampa. Uh, and uh, I worked, as you mentioned, at Crayola uh, for 17 years in an executive capacity. And uh, I was going to bring that up, you know, like, wow, for one, just quite the resume, even post-retirement. And two, I mean, I guess, you know, a Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Well, I didn't want to be that kind of retiree that just kind of lounges around and doesn't do much. Uh, and I've looked for different opportunities. Uh, it started with the book because I had always wanted to write one. So I did and wound up actually writing and publishing too. Uh, and then different opportunities have come along uh, to be able to speak about uh, myself and, and things to uh, hopefully help other people along uh, in their careers and in their lives. Uh, the teaching was through a friend of mine who I was working with. He was at Wilkes University in Pennsylvania and went to Alvernia and started a new program there. And uh, we hooked up because uh, he wanted me to teach the project management course, even though I'm 1300 miles away. So uh, as opportunities come, I, uh, I take them and uh, pick the ones I wanna do and uh, leave the other ones I don't. It hasn't been all work and no play. Uh, we. My wife and I go to a lot of different things, sporting events. We've been to the lightning a uh, number of times. And uh, um, we uh, go to art shows and art festivals and concerts down in the Tampa and Clearwater area. Uh, we're heading up to Atlanta on vacation shortly. And uh, we're taking a river cruise in the fall on the Mississippi. So uh, we stay pretty active for uh, retirees. Uh, pretty active sounds like an understatement. It sounds like you don't sit down. No, 
But I well, mean, for hey, this, I'm sitting down. <laughs> hey, but if you're having fun doing it, though, that's what matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Just because you're retired doesn't mean you stop doing things. It just means you get to try other things and explore new opportunities and enjoy doing the things you do and, uh, you know, just kind of ignore the stuff you don't. I think that's the quote for the episode right there. (laughs) So, I mean, before, you know, we get too sidetracked into your day to day and everything, Mm -hmm. I I do want to, you know, dive straight into, you know, the line of questionings and everything. So, to start, you know, um, with you, you know, work with, uh, is it ESPI? Am I correct about that? Yeah, it's kind of, consol- it's an acronym. Uh, the full name is Enterprise Systems Partners, Inc. But marketing person we were working with said that's a mouthful and hard to remember. So we shortened it to ESPI. Hey, if it works, it works. I'm, yeah. not, a mar- I'm not a marketer, but if they, whatever they say. That's it. I paid them, so I got to listen to them. So, you know, just start, starting off with that, you know, for anyone unaware, you know, what is, what is a business consultant and, you know, what did you do in that role? Well, I took the experiences I had primarily through Crayola uh, and the work that I did there to uh, work with other companies in regards to situations and issues they may have, uh, problems, uh, whether it be cost or profitability or productivity or, you know, something along those lines and to share the experiences that I had uh, encountered when I was an executive of Crayola, but also uh, as I worked with uh, different companies to take those experiences and knowledge and also to utilize that. So really when a company is hiring a consultant, they're hiring somebody who will bring a slightly different perspective. They're outside of their organization, so they're not, tied down by the day-to-day uh, situations and the things that always go on and, and the biases that uh, they may have uh, developed, but to bring a fr- fresh perspective and hopefully to get them on the right track to where uh, whatever problems they, they are encountering either are reduced or eliminated, uh, where they can grow profitably uh, and to get rid of just some of the headaches that they've run into that uh, they're having trouble solving on their own. Uh, so that's what I bring to uh, to the party, and that's what a good consultant should be uh, bringing to the party when they're working with a, another organization. I got you on that. I, I did you know, I also want to question something you said at the very beginning. You know, you mentioned help with like profitability, staffing, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. What when they when people you know, because I know you worked with several companies, and that several is an understatement. Um, yeah, did, did they big number? Yeah. Did, uh, when you when they brought you in, did they have an issue in mind or were they looking just for a fresh mindset on their overall operation or kind of like a mix of both? Or could be a mix of both. In some cases, they think they know what the issue is. At least they know where their pain points are, but they're not quite sure what's causing it. Uh, so a good consultant needs to not just take what the client says and run with it. They need to probe a little bit more because sometimes you find out that what they perceive the problem to be is maybe just a, uh, a symptom of what the problem is. Uh, and you really have to dig a bit deeper to find out. Uh, and, and for instance, uh, some companies would say, we're having a problem on our production floor. They're just not producing the way they should. It, it's all about the, the factory workers. We need to get them more productive. So you get into it and you, you do some exploratory and find out that 
either they're not getting the right information on the factory floor, or what happens is companies are trying to react so quickly to their clients and to fulfill orders that the, guy, the poor folks are, are just about producing one item uh, and somebody from the office says, no, no, stop doing that, go work on this. And so now they've got to reset their lines and, and that all takes time. And they start working on the next item and somebody comes out and goes, no, 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 we got another issue or emergency here. We got to work on this. So they don't get time to work on the stuff that they're supposed to. They do a little of this and a little of that. And they're spending more time doing takedowns and setups. Uh, and so, yeah, they're not productive, but it's not their fault. They're trying to react to what they're being told to. So you've got to improve the communication and the direction that's coming from whoever is directing those folks and stop some of the jerking around. Let them get finished with what they started and then go on to the next thing. But if everything is an emergency, quite honestly, then nothing's an emergency uh, and you've got chaos in the organization. So that, that's the kind of thing is you really got to probe to find out what the problems are. In some cases, they got it right on. But you also wonder what they, because I watch these different shows where people will go in to fix a restaurant or a bar or, or something like that, and they probe them and, and they tell them everything is okay. They really don't have a clue what their problem is. And they go, well, everything is fine. Then why do you need me? You know, what am I here for? Or they're arguing with the person about it. So you really got to find out what the situation is. Uh, like I said, you can't just take people's words for it because sometimes they're not looking at the whole picture. Again, they're kind of caught up in their own little world and their own little paradigm. And they need that outside person to come in and say, I hear what you're saying, but you got problems over here that are causing you the problems you think that you have. And I mean, you're correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I, I think that, you know, that even goes beyond. I mean, that's you know, even uh, I, I'm good friends with a couple of life coaches. And that sounds very, very similar to what they say they do. It's about bringing in that new perspective and identifying the problems that you may not even realize that you have. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, what happens in the business world is very much what happens in our daily lives. And that's what I try to get across to people uh, through my writings and talkings, or I may have a business slant to it, but a lot of stuff is true of what uh, happens to us every day. We make decisions. Some are good, some aren't so good. Well, we have problems. Maybe we cause them. Maybe something else is causing them and we need to change. Uh, so it's all on how you look at things and how you approach things. So that's what I try to do is to relate one to the other and say, yeah, I may be talking about business, but it, it, it also speaks to, uh, to what you go through on a daily basis as well. Very, very much so. Definitely agree with that. So for my next little line of question here, I'd love to you know, just kind of pick your brain about what works and what doesn't, I guess would be the best way of saying it. Okay. So, you know, just to start with the upfront, you know, what makes a successful manager versus an unsuccessful or someone who's not fully utilizing their potential is how I'm going to word that. Well, a successful manager, first of all, has confidence in him or herself that what they're going to do and, and, and how they're going to lead other people uh, is the right way to do it. Uh, but to, uh, how they go about that then is a whole different thing. Uh, a really successful manager relies on his people to give him advice and to provide perspective on whatever it is that they're working on. 
Uh, and then to pick and choose from that, because again, there's no one right way um, and there's not necessarily a best way, but there's a chosen way. Uh, but it's usually by dealing with the people that you're working with uh, and tapping into their knowledge and their expertise in order to, uh, to make things happen. If a manager becomes the know-it-all who tells everybody what to do all the time, they're probably not going to be very successful because people will will work hard and will try to achieve based on their inputs. And when they feel that they're being listened to uh, and their opinions count, uh, and also that whatever they came up with is going to be implemented, they're gonna make darn well sure that it happens. If that's not the case, if it's all about the manager, the one thing a manager does not wanna hear is, well, I did that because you told me to do it. That is probably the worst thing you can hear because they're not doing it based on that they believe that it's the correct way to do it. They, they're doing it because they were told to do it and their heart isn't going to be in it. And they may actually think that it's completely wrong. So they're half-hearted about what they're doing. And when it goes wrong, they're not going to take the blame for it. They're going to point it back at you and go, well, you told me to do it. That's, you know, and I did it and it didn't work. So now what do you want me to do? So a good manager doesn't get himself or herself into that kind of position. But once they've made the decision, then they move ahead with it. Now, that's not to say that you can't change things then. Uh, if circumstances change, if the objective changes, if uh, some things come into the picture that you weren't aware of before, you've got to be adaptable to say, okay, we need to modify our approach here. Uh, and be willing to do it, but you don't do it just at the drop of a hat. You do it when you really analyze the situation and you realize that the circumstances have changed and you've got to make some adaptations to whatever it was that you were working on and, and planning to do. Uh, if you do that, then uh, by and large, you should be pretty, pretty darn successful uh, at what you do. Uh, that doesn't guarantee anything, um, but I've seen the greater preponderance of good managers who follow that kind of course than people who don't and, and just kind of dictate down to, to everybody. They say that they're listening to their folks. They say that they're giving them the opportunity to, to succeed, but they're really not. Uh, behind the scenes, they're really uh, pulling the string, so to speak, and uh, it causes problems. And, you know, again, this is another one of those, correct me if I'm wrong, but, that, you know, kind of listening to that, I feel like a lot of things really boil down to good communication and proper transparency. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to be a good communicator as a manager. Uh, that doesn't mean that you camp over your people and every other minute you're telling them something or checking in on them, but regular check-ins. Uh, when I was managing at Crayola, uh, I would try to meet with my people once a day, find out what they were up to, what they were doing, how things were going, if they needed any assistance from me. Uh, and if they told me everything was fine and, and, and so forth, then uh, that was great. And I left them alone. If they said that they had a problem, then what is it? And again, what was it that I could do to, to help to solve that for them? Uh, if they could solve it on their own, but they needed... Uh, uh, some authorization, then I made sure that they got that. Now, that was a 
some part of the day, well, things go on and again, things change and problems crop up. So the expectation was if that happened, that they knew they could come in at any time to discuss whatever the problem was and, and then we could resolve it. Uh, so it, it was a two-way street. It wasn't me just checking in on them, but them also checking in with me when they had something that needed to be addressed and, and they felt that either that I should know about it and what they were doing or that they needed some input from me. Uh, but it was good communication. And, and that's another key aspect of, of being a good manager is to make sure you have good communication with your folks, both ways. Amen to that. I'll link this down in um, the show notes or if you're on YouTube, the video description below. Because mm -hmm. you have a good article on that. It's on your Medium page. It's uh, And I read it like right before we got on the call. Uh, okay. It's it's the uh, someone's going to die soon. And it's going to be all your fault. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> One of the highlights of my career. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I've never been accused of that before that or after that. That was quite a day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll definitely link that one down. And, and like I said, under the show but highly recommend every listener read that one because that's a great day-to-day -day management you don't always know what's going on but when it, something does go wrong you got to figure it out kind of story yeah phil was an interesting person to deal with okay and and he had the flair for the dramatic to say the least and i certainly got my attention he also kind of got the hair on the back of my neck to stand up uh, because i don't like to be accused of things especially when they're not my fault and, and I have no idea what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, it all, it, it kind of worked out, I guess, uh, to a degree, but uh, yeah, interesting way to, uh, to approach a problem and to, to try to get people involved by uh, accusing them of uh, causing deaths that might occur down the road. <laughs> you cranked it up to 11 real fast to say the least. Yes, yes. I, I met some interesting characters in my life. Phil was not the kind of manager that I would pattern myself after. Well, transitioning, <laughs> you know, moving on from, uh, you know, the, the fun death subject. Yes. So, you know, another thing I like to ask a lot of business leaders on the show, because a lot of my listeners or our listeners are um, entrepreneurs, you know, upstart businesses, you know, they're getting ready to hire or they're starting to bring people on or they're looking for additional leadership in their firms. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess first off, you know, what, what would be, you know, your biggest tips for attracting new talent and keeping people around and keeping them happy? Uh, well, for attracting new talent is to make sure that you know what it is that you really want from the new person, what kind of knowledge and skill base uh, what kind of history of accomplishments that person uh, has had in his or her career. Uh, now, if it's a relatively new position and a, uh, you know, a lower level, you don't need as much as that. What you're looking for are people who have the potential to take that, go with it, and then grow into uh a more managerial or leadership position down the road. So really to, to know what it is that you're looking for in the position and in the type of person that you want to fill it. Uh, and then when you get that person in, realize even if they're experienced, they're not experienced in you and your organization. And a lot of people make that 
mistake of saying, well, I'm going to hire somebody with experience. Yeah, they've got, let's say they're an engineer. Yeah, they're an experienced engineer, but not necessarily in the type of engineering you're doing uh, that uh, as opposed to the company that they may come from. Uh, So you've got to provide some uh, guidance to them when they get there. You can't just turn them loose and say, okay, go to it. The old sink or swim uh, type of proposition. Uh, but you've got to spend some time with them. Uh, you've got to mentor them a bit. You've got to uh, check in on them, make sure how things are going and to give them advice and to make sure that they're comfortable in the new position. Uh, and again, to let them then do what they do best uh, and not to force them into situations that they may not be very skilled at or that they didn't didn't realize they were hired on for. If you haven't been honest with them, it goes back to, again, knowing what it is you want from the position. If you start to add things on that they were not uh, aware were part of the position, that can be a big problem uh, because it may not be their sweet spot. It may not be something that they've got experience with. Uh, They can develop it over time but to just throw them in and and start to expect things from them that they didn't realize or know about uh, is a real problem. Uh, Then, uh, like I said, you you turn them loose, you let them do their things. Uh, If there's a problem, you work with them on it to correct it. And hopefully it doesn't happen over and over again. If it does, you've got an issue. Uh, And also to reward them for doing a a good job, uh, making sure that they realize that, uh, that they get uh, kudos for it. Uh, either on a personal basis or, you know, to let the rest of the organization know how well they're doing uh, to make sure that they get rewarded uh, with their pay. Uh, I ran my own organization and I always wanted to make sure that we paid our people well uh, so that they were satisfied with that because one of the things you do not want to have happen with your employees is that they're not uh, making it in the world because they're not getting paid properly for the work that they're doing and, and that becomes an issue. Now, everybody would love to have a, a gazillion dollars, uh, so you've gotta be uh, careful about that, that you don't overpay. You've gotta find out you know, what the, a good salary is for a person for the position that they're taking and the expectations and so forth, but that they're getting paid well. Uh, benefits certainly are an important thing, especially these days of the cost of health care and so forth. Uh, so we always watch that. Uh, the uh, folks who work for ESPI never paid uh, premium towards their health care. And peop- uh, when I would tell people that, they'd say, when will you hire me to work for you? Because that's a very big thing. That was the second biggest cost that we had as, as an enterprise was healthcare costs uh, besides salary. Uh, and again, that's a concern to people. If they're not, if they don't have it, uh, they have to work, they worry about it. And you don't want that. You want people to be able to focus on their jobs as well as they can. So whatever things you can take away that do not become troublesome to them and they can focus on their job uh, the better it is. Uh, so I think those are the, the types of things that you do, one, in getting people on board and then on keeping them on board, uh, giving them meaningful work to do. And uh, like I said, then uh, uh, rewarding them for doing a good job and, and, and giving them the, uh, 
uh, the accolades and the financial compensation that they, they want uh, and need. Uh, we also uh, uh, had basically profit sharing. Uh, we paid our employees uh, a very nice bonus based on the profitability of the company. Uh, and the only difference between what they got and what the partners got, the owners of the company, uh, was usually there was a fixed part that the partners got, let's say it was five or $10,000, and then it was a percentage of their salary. Uh, in some cases, we paid up to 50% of their salary as a bonus at the end of the year. So imagine getting six months more pay at the end of the year. Uh, and that's what the partners got as well. So we were treating them very, very well. Partners weren't taking uh, all the profit for themselves. We realized that uh, the employees were a large part of the success of the company and they should share in it. So I think if you do all those things, now not everybody can pay 50% bonuses. I certainly didn't get that at Crayola. If I got a 12% bonus, I was really happy. Uh, but if you can do that, you're going to have very uh, satisfied and happy employees, and uh, you're going to retain them. Definitely a lot of great info there, too. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, a lot to take in, but a lot of great info, because, I mean, of course, you know, growing, managing, running a business is uh, not a simple task, to say the least. No. I think if, if it was too simple a task, you might have been out of a career. <laughs> Yeah, well, then anybody could do it. And then there goes the consulting gig. My my son always said to me, because my son, my oldest worked two summers in, in the uh, in the company. And one day he came in and he said, Dad, you know, he says 90% of what we do is just common sense. He said, why is that? And I said, well, I said, because you can't teach common sense. And if it were that easy, then we'd be out of a job because everybody would be able to do it. and There'd be no need for us to go in and to help them. So thank goodness that they fumble and stumble a bit because uh, that provides uh, gainful employment for us. Uh, so he, he picked it out pretty quickly. And, and that was true. You know, 10% of it was really technical knowledge. The rest was handholding and, and guiding people through decisions and so forth and, and using uh, their best common sense common sense but also like you say in your writings you know nothing's uh entirely foolproof you can't uh you can't proof it for every fool nope <laughs> uh there's no such thing as foolproof where there are sufficiently talented fools so uh, <laughs> i i had that written and i had that posted on my uh, wall in the office and i'd look at that every so often when i would get frustrated and go yep Got to pay attention to that. So, you know, moving into, you know, kind of last, or I guess, you know, kind of more closing questions in the interview, kind of, you know, bigger, broader topics, you know. So number one, in your opinion, what causes most businesses to fail? You still there, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I didn't catch the end of that. You started with a question and then it kind of cut off. Hey, all good. And I'll fix this in editing. Um, okay. So, you know, moving into the more closing questions of the interview, more broad topics here. Mm -hmm. Let's just start with number one. You know, in your opinion, what causes most businesses to fail? Well, there's a couple of things. One is uh, they bring folks in or, or 
you know, they may be working on their own, but they're not doing the right things and they're not committed to doing the right things for whatever reason. They say that they, you know, want to do certain things, but when they get challenged on it, they back off, they find excuses not to. Uh, if you truly want to move ahead, there's no such thing as excuses. And, and again, uh, the sh one of the shows I watched, the one fellow says, I don't deal with excuses, I deal with results. And that needs to be true uh, for any successful enterprise. You need to be pushing for results and, and there's no excuse for not getting there. If something's not working, you change it and, and you find the right thing to do in, in order to make it work and, and, uh, and make it happen. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is, uh, particularly when you're dealing with um, companies that are self-owned, it's one owner and it's a private enterprise, uh, it's that person's baby. And you understand that. I mean, ESPI was my baby. I was one of the founders of it. Um, but when you've got a problem and you bring somebody in to help you to fix it, you've got to listen to them. If And too often uh, I had owners who would tell me uh, what to do and, and that. And I'm thinking, well, if you know all this stuff, then why aren't you doing it? Okay. What do you have me in for? And why are you spending the time and the money? And you find out they really didn't know, but I, I, I still don't know what point they were trying to prove. If they were trying to prove how smart they were, if they were the owner, I knew all that stuff, but yet they still had a need and they weren't, they weren't listening to myself or to the folks I was working with in order to get stuff done. And then they were wondering why they weren't succeeding. The companies that we worked with who did what we told them to do. Now, they didn't do it unilaterally. They just didn't turn over the keys to us and say, do whatever you want to do and we'll follow it. They questioned uh, because they needed to understand. And also they needed to take ownership of the, that. And that'll be another thing we'll talk about is taking ownership. Um, but once they did and they were on board, then they made it happen and they were very successful. Now that point I just made about taking ownership, anybody who brings somebody in and thinks that they are going to fix things for them is 100% wrong. They're there to help them to fix things. But at the end of the day, it's the, the executives, the owner, the people in the company who take ownership because whoever you, you're working with is going to leave at some point. They're not going to be there forever. They're not going to be the crutch. They're not going to be the council. They're there for a limited time to help to, to, to straighten things out. But once they walk out the door, it's up to you to continue that. And if you don't take ownership, if you don't understand, if you don't carry on and, and follow through on an ongoing basis, you're going to fail. And some places are like that. They think that there's a magic wand or some magic formula that you, you do and uh, then everything is going to be hunky-dory and they don't have to do anything anymore and, and, and that's wrong. So uh, I would say those are the three big things or other little things in there but uh, I would say those are the biggies that cause companies to not be successful. And apologize for my dog yeah i'm recording no problem uh, so, sorry um apologize for my dog luckily our audio files are recorded separately so i can just yeah. mute myself when uh i bring this into adobe audition <laughs> no problem 
All right. So, you know, last major question of the interview, you know, what, sure. what is the simplest thing any business owner can do, you know, I guess starting today to uh, improve their business and uh, help its long-term viability? Uh, as they continue to grow, they have to realize that it's not the same enterprise they started with. Uh, all enterprises start very, very small. Uh, but as they grow, uh, they're going to need additional help. They're going to need additional expertise. Uh, it, it can't continue to fall just on the owner to, to run the business like it did when it started. Uh, there's a picture of just Jeff Bezos when he started Amazon and he sat in, a, in his garage at a table running Amazon. Well, guess what? Jeff Bezos doesn't do that anymore. Jeff Bezos can't do that. In fact, I'm sure there's tons of things going on in Amazon these days that Jeff Bezos isn't daily aware of, okay? But they happen. Um, so Jeff Bezos and Amazon don't run the way they did when they started in his garage. Uh, now, that's a pretty big extreme from garage to Amazon, which is one of the largest companies in the world today. But I would say that as a company gets up into the five, $10 million range, as far as revenues go, that there are some dramatic changes to the company. Uh, you're not dealing with the QuickBooks and the Peachtree software anymore. You now moved into something uh, certainly more elaborate and uh, robust than that kind of system. And again, uh, you have grown the staff, okay? and and. Uh, where you may not have had an HR person before, you might have used an outside service on a as-needed basis. Now you've hired an HR person, maybe you've hired an engineer, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, and you need, again, then, we talked about good managers before, well, good owners allow those people then to do things. But if, if they control everything uh, down to the minuscule, and I've run across business owners like that, uh, then the people who they've hired uh, do not feel valued. Uh, and I've seen that certainly already. Uh, and they get frustrated and uh, they don't do the job. And then people wonder why not? Well, you're not allowing them to do what they need to do. You are over controlling them. So I would say that as entrepreneurs grow, they need to realize that the business changes, they need to change how they operate it's not a little business anymore. It's a fairly significant operation and, and they've got to deal that way. And sometimes it's difficult for, for folks. Other times it's not. Uh, and when it is difficult, then they need coaching, whether it's a consultant or a life coach or a business coach or whatever the case may be in order to get them straightened out and they've got to listen to them then. So if they do that, then they will be successful. If they don't, if they keep trying to run like a small time operation, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be a small time operation and not very successful. Once again, all great advice and definitely uh, some great value on this episode today. So moving, you know, just into my regular closing questions for the interview. First up, uh, where can we find you online? Okay. Uh, there are three different places you could find me. First of all, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have a LinkedIn page. Uh, if you go to uh, Peter Christian and search for uh, author, uh, speaker, uh, adjunct professor, you should be able to separate me out from the other Peter Christians that are on LinkedIn. So that's number one. 
Number two, I have a website that I have put up primarily to talk about my books, uh, but also has uh, a lot of the uh, writings and postings that I have and information about me and consulting and speaking and so forth. And that is uh, P-E-T-E Christian Books. Dot com. So it's all word, one word, pchristianbooks.com. And on there, you can not only read about different things, but there's also a point where you can send me a message and contact me and we can chat and so forth. And then the third way is uh, through uh, good old email. Uh, and my email address are my initials, PH, and then my last name, Christian, the number 53, at gmail.com. So that's phchristian53 at gmail.com. So any one of those three uh, will get you to me. Uh, just let me know who you are and what it is that you would like to discuss or talk about or deal with, and uh, we can go from there. Definitely great. And I'll make sure I kind of like the Medium article I mentioned earlier. I'll link all of those in the show notes down below. If you're on YouTube, they're down in the video description below. Terrific. And final question, what's next for Pete? Uh, well, uh, I continue to write. I continue to, uh, to podcast uh, and uh, continue to look at other opportunities as they come forward to me. Uh, I've got uh, one person who would like to co-author a book. Uh, we've had a little bit of difficulty getting off the ground with that because some other things have come up in his life, but I'm waiting uh, for him to... Uh, uh, to get those uh, all situated, and then we'll see where that goes. Uh, so that's, and I hadn't thought of that before, you know, I had just thought about writing in my own book, no less auth co-authoring with somebody else, but uh, hey, if they're interested and they think that we could do a good job together, what, what the heck. Uh, and uh, there may be a couple consulting opportunities uh, coming my way shortly. Uh, I will continue to keep my hand in that. I don't want to do that on too big a basis because I got a lot of other stuff and I am retired. So I have to enjoy that at some point. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the, there's that opportunity as well. And, and I enjoy doing that when I can. So uh, and we'll, we'll just see where life takes me. I'm open. Love to hear it, man. And, uh, well, of course, thank you very much for coming on the episode. Really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you and your listeners as well. <laughs>